Broadcasting. The PSAs you hear on Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Condon, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Glad to have you here with us. Our series as sports are shut down. A look back at some of the great teams from the state of Iowa. Hawkeye, Cyclones. Ken, we're going to even do some Panthers tomorrow. We're going to go back to that Sweet 16 basketball team. You brought that one up to me and I said, you know what, it's time. We've done a lot of Hawkeyes and Cyclones this week. Let's get the Panthers in the mix. Absolutely, Trent. I mean, that was a spectacular team. Ali Farouk Manesh and Ahelikba and Lucas O'Rear and Eagle Cedar. And what's the kid's name from uh, uh, Dunham, right? Kerwin Dunham was on that team. Uh, They beat Kansas with the shot and then they would get to St. Louis and get knocked out by Michigan State in a game that I think they had the lead at halftime. In fact, I'm pretty sure they had a sh- uh, maybe a four-point lead at halftime. But, yeah, I mean, there's more in this state than I when Iowa State. They're clearly the two needle movers. But, you know, we'll take a look at Drake's incredible run, 2007 and eight. We'll mix in the Panthers, and we got 2009 Iowa State football to talk about next. That we do. And joining us, he was the quarterback on that squad, Austin Arnod. Austin, thanks for joining us and great to hear your voice out there in San Francisco where at times are tough everywhere across the country but it's got to be incredibly surreal there in San Francisco so before we get into the football we go down memory lane with you Austin tell us a little bit about where you are in San Francisco and, and kind of what's happening out there in Northern Cal um, you know San Francisco is a little it's a little it's a little bit crazy right now just the simple fact that there's a sh- a shelter in place in ordinance in for six counties in the Bay Area. So, um, in August, we recently moved over to Oakland. We were living in, we were living in San Francisco for the prior two years, but now we're over in Oakland. And it's still, uh, yeah, it's pretty surreal. Um, uh, my fiance is working from home every single day. I'm doing some stuff at home and then having to go in for some cases at the hospital, but a lot of elective surgeries have been canceled. So my, uh, my days are, been at home and kind of in the car like usual so nothing really different from me but yeah it, it, it's different out here that you know we can can order food and get it for takeout or delivery but you can't go in the restaurant you know there's a lot of things happening around here that are uh you know preventing large gatherings and i think it's probably a good thing no i'm with you austin good to talk to you and i'm uh, i got an app installed so i'm able to do this portion i was disappointed so i, I knew we were going to have you on and i was disappointed that i wasn't going to be able to talk to you um uh, and but uh it, it's all working out so you know we talked so much during that season right you and uh, of course zach yeah. lapedia zach spears you're both engaged for crying out loud good for both <laughs> of you and you get you guys would call in after practice and talk to peralt nine we were certainly grateful for that but that team did that feel you know, as, as you think back, and I know that you, know, you take a look at that roster, and I guess I want to start with the best player on the team, and I, I think it'd probably be uh, hard not to pick Calicio Semele as to, as to have that honor. What was it like with him in practice every day? When you think back to KO going up against the, the defensive line in practice, we saw him pancaking Saturday after Saturday, but what kind of practice player was him as you think back to those days uh, on practice leading up to a game? Oh, yeah, just as ruthless. Uh, you know, the guys, A.J. Klein, Jake Knott, who are our better players on defense, you know, David Sims, 
James Smith guys that would go against him every day in practice, they just didn't want to. You know, he was that type of guy in practice, too, that, <laughs> right. you know, once he got in between those lines, you know, it was a different guy. And he still is that way. You know, he, he was – A.J. and him still to this day, you know, I know they, 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 they get along and they talk because they, they're both in the NFL and both doing their thing at the next level. But those guys didn't get along because Kelechi would just, was just very tough on AJ was AJ was the young guy coming in, and Kelechi was always coming around and said, get, get second level or pulling around to, to meet AJ in the hole or, or on the sideline or wherever. So Kelechi is, is, is a rare talent. You know, I've only seen a couple of guys in person like him who when, like I said, when those lights mm-hmm. switch, the flip switches and he's just a totally different person and you know, he did the, the best thing you want about offensive linemen is somebody that's nasty, and KO was the definition of nasty. You also had a new coach that you know, year. Let me jump back in oh, here, go, Trent, go if you would. Yep. Yeah, just just a quick follow-up. Since, Austin, since you mentioned David Sims, uh, and I forgot, I mean, he was he was really good. He was the Oklahoma transfer, I want to say, transferred from Oklahoma. When I watched him play, Austin, I thought that this was a kid who was going to have a chance uh, to play to play in the NFL. Were you surprised that it didn't work out for him? And, you know, from watching uh, that Cyclone team, I thought that, you know, this guy's got enough talent that he's going to make a living playing football. Yeah, I thought so too, and and I think I honestly right now, if you lined them up, David Sims would still probably be one of the better players on the field. You know, ten years later, so he's one of those guys that was a freak athlete. I mean, he benched he he benched like close to five hundred pounds. I mean, he, he was he was strong as an ox, did everything well, um, had a knack for the ball. Him and Jake Knott were two guys that I remember who and, and AJ, those three guys. Anytime there was a play happening on defense, those three guys were around around the ball somewhere, getting the ball, hitting it, making it, you know, knocking it out. But David was a guy, he bounced around, a little, bounced around a little bit, played with the Colts, and had a little stint with the Jags, I believe, um, but never really caught on. But you guys will find this interesting now. Last I talked to him, uh, it would probably have been like last summer, a couple summers ago, he's a, tra- he's a trainer for the Jordan brand, like a lifting guy uh, up, in, up in Canada. Wow. So uh, he was, he was, that's the last that I heard of him. So, I mean, he's, he's still doing well, and, uh, you know, he's still a physical freak like he was back in the day. Great numbers that year. Him, Jesse Smith, led the team in tackles. A new coaching yep. staff coming in. You you come on the heels of the 2008 season late in the year after winning your first two. It was 10 consecutive losses. Tell us about Paul Rhodes and the staff. As they came in, and in preparation for that 2009 year, what the offseason was like, what the work was like that you guys put in to become bowl eligible in that first season. Yeah, I just remember when those guys first came in, the it was it was totally different than when Coach Chizik came in two years prior. When Coach Chizik came in, it was one of those things where we we brought in a coaching staff and we try to run guys. You know, they try to run guys out of there. If you didn't want to be there, you didn't get a part of the team. And I think that that off season with Chizik, about I think it was like twenty to twenty five guys, mostly walk ons who you know aren't getting paid to be there, uh, quit. So we had a we had a pretty limited roster starting with Chizik. But with Rhodes, it was a whole different aspect. You know, Coach Rhodes really took pride and responsibility in the fact of. You know, yeah, I need to recruit new guys for this job, but I need to recruit my own players first. And that was always the message with him. And it always felt that way with him because, you know, he was born in Nevada, born, you know, born in Mary Greeley, you know, grew up in Nevada, you know, lived in Central Iowa most of his life. Um, so you felt that sense of home. And then the guys that he brought in, I just remember, I'll never forget waking up on a Saturday morning and I can't remember what, when it would have been, but Tom Herman calling me the first time I ever talked to Coach Herm. Um, hmm. He knew a few coaches from Kansas and had seen me play on tape, and he was like, "Hey, I'm really excited to work with you." And you know, before that, 
with, with Coach Shizik's staff, we didn't really have that. So it just felt really like a, a really a home environment, a family environment from the get go. And I think we had a great a great group of seniors and junior leaders on the team. Guys like Derek Schmidgall, Reggie Stevens, Fred Guerin, uh, myself, Mike O'Connell, Ben Lamock, Mike Brantner. You know, the list goes on and on. Alex Robinson, Alexander Robinson. We had a bunch of guys who were you know, leaders and all who wanted to be successful. And I think we really took a big, a big step forward in, the, in those off season workouts, just essentially for the fact that, you know, coach Rhodes made it a, a point that we spent a lot of time together. We were in the weight room with, Doc, with, with um, coach McKnight, a bunch. And, and the whole, the whole setup was, you know, spending our time, investing our time instead of spending it, you know, making sure that we're getting quality reps, we're getting everything done in the proper way, as opposed to just, doing stuff off full bore without without any intent, if that makes any sense. You know, unfortunately, you're able to answer this question because you went through so many coaching staffs and so many coordinators <laughs> over your career. But, but when you when you met Tom Herman for the first time and when you saw what you know what what he was going to bring and some of the uh, the ideas that he had, did it dawn on you at the time, Austin, that you that did it ever cross your mind that you know this guy's going to have, have a lot of success? I mean, maybe you're too young, you're you know you're a player still, but did it dawn on you that uh, that Tom Herman might be on a fast track at any point? Oh, absolutely. You know, when I met him and saw how young he was, and then we put on the tape of Rice. Chase Clement and um, some of the guys that he had at Rice who are in the NFL. James Casey was another guy he had. Uh, Philip Dill- Philip Dillard played with the Jaguars. So there's two or three guys in that offense that he coached that were in the NFL, and they're from Rice. I mean, notoriously football school that was down and, and you know, kind of little brother in Texas there for a while. But just seeing, you know, he, he did that as offensive coordinator, in his, I think, in his late 20s, early 30s. So the, for the moment I met him and then just watching the tape from Rice, you saw, oh, you know, these guys have a lot of big plays. And they manufacture a lot of big plays, and then he comes out of spring ball with the scroll of the play sheet. And like, not that the scroll was a long play call sheet, but it was just just different nuances for different sets. You know, we have formations established and personnel groups, and for each one of those per- per- personnel information groups, he had a list of fifteen to twenty plays that he could call. You know, no huddle because we were we were in no huddle offense. So it was just hmm. it was a different sense than having worked with Robert McFarland, who was you know muddle huddle. You know, running in a lot of different formations and a lot of different, um, a lot of different motions. Whereas Coach Herman was, you know, where we didn't do a lot of motioning, didn't do a lot of formation. We had, you know, we have, we essentially felt that we had the chop last. You know, we'd show our hands in the line of scrimmage and see what the defense was going to do, and he would be able to dial it from there. And he still does a pretty great job of that today. One of the most memorable games, certainly for me, and I'm sure a lot of people out there, is a game. Unfortunately for you, Austin, you didn't play in. The first win at Nebraska since 1977. You, Alexander Robinson, out that game. Going back ben as I, out that game too. Yeah, I, I'm going back and I hear a press press conference with Coach Rhodes. He's talking about how sick the team was. So take us back to that one, the eight turnover game as the Cornhuskers just kept handing you guys the ball. Yeah, it's really funny. You know, life has come full circle now. That was H1N1. Do you guys remember the swine flu? Oh, wow. So that was that was wow. in itself. So. We had probably, I think, three or four starters. I didn't. I had a broken hand. Alexander um, had a. I think a both both thighs were bruised up pretty good because that guy took some hits. But we had a few guys, like ten or fifteen guys, who had the H1N1 flu, and it, it's just it's just wild. And, and to bring that story full circle, uh, I distribute for Stryker Sports Medicine um, in the operating room, 
and one of the managers for the endoscopy business unit is Zach Lee, who was the quarterback for Nebraska that game. So I see Zach all the time, and we're, we're at these functions at Stryker down in Arizona for the yearly meetings, and we're just reminiscing. So it's good. It's, it's funny uh, to see this thing come. But I do remember that game, and like I said, I had a broken hand. Jerome Tiller came in there, and, uh, and, and you know, not that he played great, but he threw the one touchdown pass that mattered. So um, to Jake there in the first half. And the funny thing about that game is, you know, after we dissected the game and the eight turnovers and how the offense played miserably that game, um, you know, you just remember key spots. I remember Dominican Sue was a defensive lineman for Nebraska, and Lamock, Ben Lamock was out, so Trey Basinger it was a true uh, redshirt freshman starting guard. <laughs> he was oh my. I remember the first play of the game. I mean, the first one of the first passing downs of the game, snapped the ball, and Dominican Sue grabs Trey Basinger, who's 6'7", 315-pound kid from Dallas Carter, picks him up, throws him probably three or four feet in the air and is running after Tiller. It's like you're welcome to the Big 12 moment for Jerome Tiller. It's like, okay, I'm going to get rid of this thing. Um, and then, <laughs> That's unbelievable. Wa- watching that film and, and, and coming back to that now, we were watching the first half film with Tom Herman, and Coach Herman's watching the film, and he's in a decent mood. He's like, God, we played terrible, but, you know, we got to win. And then, you know, Jerome throws that touchdown pass to Jake at the end of the second quarter to, you know, put us up 9-7 or what it was. And Coach Herman shuts the it. film off. He's like, all right, we're done. This is it. He's like, I don't want to watch the second half. We played terrible. <laughs> so we moved on. You know, they always talk about burning the tape, so we burned that second half tape, didn't even watch it, went out to the practice field and, and started preparing for the next opponent. But it was a, it was an awesome experience, and everyone remembers the, the locker room celebration with Coach Rhodes. Mm-hmm. So proud. And I just, uh, you know, I'm yep. sitting here a little bit ago with my fiance uh, getting ready for my day. Um, and I, I had to bring up the 2009 tribute video just to watch it and kind of see. And that, that was the one thing that October 24th, uh, we'll never forget that game. Yeah, I had one there, and I think what was since the mid seventies or something crazy like that. You know, just one more yeah. on that game, Austin. I remember the extent that the that Coach Rhodes and everybody around the program went to to try and make it appear like no, you're you're Arnold's fine. He's you know he's a little bit banged <laughs> up, but we expect yeah. him to play in this football game. Do you remember that yeah. the uh, some of the Absolutely. stuff that they tried to you know to to confuse Nebraska? That's not Tiller. Arnold's okay. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, I remember I broke my hand the game before against Baylor, um, throwing a pass in the first quarter. And then I came out, and I think the, I had my best <laughs> best first half of my career. I think I completed the next 12 passes with a broken hand. And then at halftime, I come in, and, and Dr. Greenwald pulls up the tape. and I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm a, I'm a 20-year-old kid. And he goes, yep, it's broken. I said, well, where? I don't see anything. <laughs> so, um, Yeah, but I just remember Coach playing it down all week. I knew you know, I couldn't grip a football. I could barely use the restroom, to be honest with you guys. You know, you could, couldn't grip a football, couldn't do anything really with that hand, couldn't write. I'll never forget I was in a badminton class that year, and it was one of my only, like, sport classes where I was like, okay, I can cruise this semester. I got a badminton class. And people, you guys would never repeat and people who were in my class remember, oh, yeah, I killed off in our nod in badminton because I was playing left-handed. <laughs> so I was getting smoked in PE class uh, in college, too. So it was just not a great couple of weeks for me. But we won the game, and remember next week we went down to Texas A&M, and, Played uh, Vaughn Miller and uh, Michael Bennett. Those guys. And that was that was a tough one. We uh, Kalechi did a good job against Vaughn, but you know they they had I think they had they had two running backs that were very good. I think Tannehill was playing receiver and Gerard Johnson yep. was their quarterback. So very very wild times in the Big Twelve. Got the win against Colorado. Bowl eligible after that one, and then the bowl game against the Gophers. We'll wrap up with this as uh, you guys 
get to go to a bowl game, what you went through, the number of coaches, and just to have that opportunity to go to Phoenix, get to take on Minnesota, the Gophers, a, a team from the Big Ten. Boy, it had to be great for you guys and getting kind of that cherry on top of the Sunday. Yeah, that Gopher team had Eric Decker as a receiver as well. Uh-huh. We we played; they were they were pretty good. I don't know if he played in that game or not. He may have been saving it up or was hurt. But um, yeah, it was it was a surreal experience. You know, uh, I, I'll just never forget. You know, all of our big big old boys from rural Iowa with their shirts off in seventy degree weather in Arizona before <laughs> the game because they're like, "Man, it's hot down here." You know, because we left we left Christmas Day and it was I'll never forget seeing Cyclone Jerry before we left and get on the buses and him and Diamond Dave who are outside mm-hmm. waveboards every time we leave, and it's just blizzard. I mean, it's negative five, blizzard. We're leaving from Ames early in the morning, and those two are out there. Those two are the biggest Cyclone fans that I can remember. But, yeah, it was it was a cool experience going down there and, and being a part of uh, of a bowl celebration and experience. You know, the, the players took advantage of the coaches as well. It was an awesome time. You know, it, it's, it's so much better when you win a bowl game. Um, you know, knowing from, from experience, I, I played in one and won one. Uh, and, you know, I tried like heck for us to lose. I turned it over four times that game. Can't, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Um, we, we ended up winning. That was a good thing. So, uh, you know, just a great experience to have with, with those guys and stuff that we'll never forget. And then the coaching staff, they earned it. I mean, they worked their tails off to get us where we were. We were a team, um, you know, of our junior and senior class. There were a lot of walk-ons sprinkled in there who ended up earning scholarships. Guys like Joel Vitek, Derek Schmidgall, Jake Williams, Zach Sand. Zach Sandig was on for the whole time. But, you know, guys who are from, you know, small Nebraska, Iowa towns who made, who made this team what it was, uh, working their tails off for three and four years just to get that opportunity to be on scholarship their senior year and junior years. Was very was very cool, and I think that was the byproduct of the way that Coach Rhodes um, mentored us and, and trained us. You know, we, we worked, we showed up every day with that same mentality. You know, we knew that we were the underdog almost in every game that we played. But we played different. We played different. We played with a, a kind of a swagger, a boxy about us, and we knew that we were going to work harder than any other team. So, honestly, I think we won those six games that year. Uh, those seven games that year, all on you know grit and, and, and toughness alone. We didn't have the better players. You know, we didn't, but we didn't have maybe the better coaches, but we, we worked harder than everybody else, and that was rewarding in its own. Hey, Austin, listen, thanks for uh, for doing this here for us. It's great to catch up with you again. Congratulations to you and Chelsea uh, on your uh, on your engagement, and be well, Thank my you. friend. Well, we'll we'll be in touch. Uh, we're going to get through this, and again, thanks for doing this for our <laughs> audience here in Central Iowa. I have no doubt we're going to get through this, Ken. It's awesome to hear from you guys. Uh, keep doing it. Keep fighting the good fight and bringing people the news because right now they need it. we got some sad faces out there. So really keep bringing that, and we really appreciate you guys. Thank good you, Good to talk to you, Austin. All right. There he is, Austin Arnott, in our look back at 2009. What a fun season that was. Uh, of course, we're, we're going to go to the other side of the state here in the coming weeks, and we'll talk about the Iowa football team of 2009. But just the positivity, that bounce-back season, and year number one of Paul Rhodes, it, it, it had that feeling that something important was building. And, and I do have the clip, of course, from the locker room. So proud. As I was listening to it and recording it again yesterday, Ken, it gave me yeah. goosebumps. I Everybody, I think, that listens knows, yes, I grew up a Hawkeye fan. I still root Mm -hmm. for the Hawkeyes. That one, though, if that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know if you have a soul. No, it was. It was It was a wonderful piece of audio, Trent, and, you know, one of the highlights of the Rhodes era, I guess, is two, uh, you know, his two biggest wins in, in an ugly football game with all those turnovers, the finally ending the streak in Nebraska, and then the Friday night against Oklahoma State, 
when uh, they knocked off what I think the Cowboys were ranked two at the time. And on that Friday night, the uh, Iowa State and the fans rushed the field. And that was the night of the championship game of 4A football. I remember it was going on at the Dome, and that was taking place at Jack Christ Stadium. But, yeah, great to look back to uh, uh, to that 2019 uh, as Iowa State culminated a 7-6 and six year with a win in Phoenix. With that, we're going to take a deep dive into it. Highlights from the season 2009, Iowa State football. Up next in our deep dive into some of the best teams and the most memorable teams in the state's history. That's coming your way next. Miller and Condon taking till noon, 1460 KXNO and 103. Going to join us for the final segment here today, but with our new system still working out a few kinks, sounding pretty good. I was very happy about the audio quality as we continue to work our way through, of course, the pandemic across the country. Every day we're looking back some of the best and most memorable teams from our state's history today. As we just talked with Austin Arnott, you'll be able to find that podcast up if you missed it up on our podcast page, kxno.com. You can find it there or just search on your favorite podcast device, whatever app that you use, Miller and Connie. You can find a really fun conversation with Austin as we look back at 2009. But as we do, we're going to bring you some highlights, some memories from this season. As we talked about with Austin, it was year number one of Paul Rhodes. Expectations. Coming into the year, certainly we're not high by any measure. In fact, this was a team that surpassed the expectations, I think, for most everybody coming into the year. They got off first game against North Dakota State. Now, looking back in 2009, you knew that was a good program, but not the program of the behemoth that they have turned into over the past decade. But it got going. Here's a name from the past, Marquise Hamilton from the aforementioned Austin Arnott. Here comes a blitz. Arnott gets rid of it. Caught. Hamilton 30, 25, 20. Hamilton with a 10 to the 5. Touchdown. What a great read. I'll jump out to that one. North Dakota State 34-17. A win to begin the season. A week later, Iowa comes to town. And this was the Hawkeye team that ran off 12 consecutive victories during the regular season. That one a victory for Iowa in the Cy-Hawk game. But from there, bounce back a couple of victories and a couple of easy victories, including going on the road to Kent State, then coming back home for Army and knocking off the cadets in that matchup. And here's a name you're going to hear a lot. Alexander Robinson for the score. Shotgun snap. He looks left on the slant. Incomplete. And no, it is caught. Colin Franklin. He'll give it to Robinson. Left side run. Big hole. 40. Down the left sideline. Midfield. 40. 30. Robinson in a foot race. And he avoids everybody and takes it in for the touchdown. What a special, special running back Alexander Robinson was. Love watching that team. They come back from that. They start Big 12 play. Farmageddon in another one of the many throughout the years. Just couldn't get it done against Kansas State. 24-23 down to the wire there in Arrowhead for that matchup. Then on the road to Kansas, and it's it's so crazy. We're talking about 11 years ago. Kansas is ranked 15th in the country. Kansas. Youngsters out there. Yeah, Kansas for a couple of years with Mangino had a really good program. They were ranked 15th in the country in another on a lot of tight losses, this one 41-36. At that point, after starting 3-1, and they're back to even 3-3, and and you wondered, what direction was this team going to take? 
They get Baylor in the first game back after that. After the two-game losing streak against Kansas State and Kansas, they come back against Baylor and get it done. But from there, the most memorable part of this season certainly was this game. It was Nebraska. They go there, a place that they hadn't won since 1977. Here it starts and it gets going in the first half with David Sims, a guy we talked about with Austin, making a play defensively. Lead 6-6 six six so far on the series. And on the deflection, is it taken in? Still battled, and they say Sims has a pick and never hit the ground. David Sims comes away with it, the strong safety. Deflection, never hits the ground. Falls up, up, off the bodies, up, up, up. And it never hits the ground. There's like four different deflections on that play. David Sims, one of eight Nebraska turnovers. 9-6 is the final. But I want to first go before the most famous, famous audio clip of that time. Paul Rhodes on the field after the game. This is from Fox Sports. And, and just listen, maybe a harbinger of things to come inside the locker room. Nebraska, and for the first time since 1977, you guys come out victorious. Let me tell you something. We win this football game by two points, and they got eight turnovers and we got zero. You think they didn't coach a hell of a game and play a heck of a game? I'm so proud of our football team and how they played. So proud. It is said there on the field after the game, nothing that is scripted, I don't believe, nothing that they knew they were going to run on social media and the like. No, that wasn't the case. But here it is inside the locker room after the win against Nebraska, beating the Cornhuskers and Lincoln for the first time since 77. Got people tired everywhere. Got people sore everywhere. I couldn't be proud. I could not be proud. No. I am so proud. Goosebumps. An incredible moment in a time where Iowa State fans, boy, they believed in Paul Rhodes. They believed in this program. They believed that they had the guy that was going to get it done. A victory against Colorado punches their ticket after the Nebraska game into bowl eligibility. They go down to Arizona, and it was Austin or not early in this one with the first score. Inside give. Makes the give, Arnaud keeps it himself, and that big buddy goes into the end zone. Cyclones lead 6-3. That voice you hear, Paul Burmeister, former Hawkeye quarterback, with the call on NFL Network. You remember that? Yeah, NFL Network had that one. Late in the game, Minnesota's driving as Iowa State is clinging to a 14-13 lead. And then Teron Benton finds a fumble. Wildcat, you've got it. Now you've got to account for him. Makes the inside give, right back, up the middle, puts the on the ground, Uh-oh. and Taron Benton has it. 14-13, the final, a first down from Arnaud. He rushes on third and two to get the first down, and Iowa State wins it 14-13. Seven and six on the season, but the moment, the Paul Rhodes moment, that one will certainly live on for a very, very long time. Our look back at 2009 here today, the Iowa State football team on Miller and Conant. We're t- coming back on the other side. Ken going to rejoin me. Some final thoughts on the program. Taking you up until noon, Miller and Conant, 1460 KXNO, and now, 106.3 FM. <laughs>
KXNO. With you one final time, Miller and Connick continues taking you up until noon, 1460 KXNO, and now 106.3 FM. Ken, as we put a wrap on things here, great conversation, talking Iowa State, some great memories with Austin Arnod, talking about that team, the eight turnover game against Nebraska, the bowl win against Minnesota as the Gophers were driving late and, and get that one. And Paul Rhodes, it was just such an interesting time with that one, what was happening, and Paul Rhodes in his first season, and I remember talking to plenty of Cyclone fans. They had their guy, this program under Paul Rhodes. They were going to take that breakthrough. Of course, alas, that never happened. Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent point, Trent. Uh, the the feelings around that team, and um, I was in Phoenix at the pep rally. It was at some point. It was it was it was not, it was outside of the greater Phoenix area. I can't remember if it was like a dude ranch or some kind. I, I really don't know. I can't recall. But, I mean, Cyclone Nation showed up in mass to see that and to be a part of it. And then, obviously, the game. And the game itself was, I mean, oof, it was tough. Um, with, but uh, the Cyclones won, and that was, what, their last bowl win up until they beat Memphis in the Liberty Bowl uh, a couple of years back. Um, but, yeah, that was that, that seemed like a different era, right? It was everybody was on cloud nine. As you mentioned, they got their guy. The turnaround is here. Look out. Iowa State football has arrived. And you're certainly feeling pretty good at that point as far as where Cyclone Nation was headed. But as we would come to find out, uh, it didn't end well. The Paul Rhodes era, who just, by the way, just signed a huge deal. Did you see that? No. Uh, in the in the Pac-12, he's going to be uh, defensive coordinator. I, I want to say Arizona, yeah, with, with at uh, at, Arizona, at uh, with the Wildcats. So uh, a two-year deal, upwards just shy of a uh, of a million dollars per. So uh, good for Paul Rhodes. Obviously, he's a defensive guy. Uh, defensive uh, coordinators where he made his calling card and he, he got his chance here at Iowa State and back in 2009 at the culmination uh, of that season it certainly felt like Iowa State football was was headed in the right direction. Well as we're wrapping things up for today Ken this would be a time normally we would be watching basketball we would have the NCAA yeah. tournament on the games would be going we'd be shooting out to Albany and taking a look out there and let's go <laughs> to Cleveland and bounce around. Now it's different than the days for a number of years when it was just CBS and you're kind of beholden to them. Uh, I don't know, DirecTV for a number of years also had where you could get every game and uh, on CBS, but it changed here in recent years. You had TNT, TBS, True TV. Also that was with it along with, of course, the coverage on CBS, but uh, looking through, and I know people are putting out brackets right now. I saw NCAA.com, in fact, had great moments in NCAA tournament history, but this this is a stinger. Woke up today, and there's normally such a bounce in your step getting ready for these games. And we talked yeah. about them. We'd gone through them for the last three days, breaking down the bracket. And here we are here. We're actually going to be able to see it. And now nothing. Absolutely nothing. World has changed in the last week, has it not? I mean, the, what what a week that it was. And it's just uh, sadly the first of of many weeks to come. But you're right. This was such, This is such a... A, a big day on the sports calendar for, you know, for sports fans, uh, throughout the country and college basketball fans and your bracket is filled out and you're trying to find where true TV is. 
you know, on your on your uh, television package. But you know, for us, Trent, um, two forty four, two forty five, and two forty six, or yeah. whatever it is, in in that area, two forty six, seven, and eight. I don't know, uh, but you get my point. Uh, that's really, at least for me, I don't spend a lot of time in that in that block of channels. And this is the one time of year that you do, and hearing all the different voices. And then, you know, the studio shows at halftime of all of them. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be missed, no doubt about it. But I can't get into the simulated stuff. I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of, you know, look, we're all looking for something to kill time with right now, but I, I can't do that for whatever reason because we don't know that that's how it's going to turn out. Are you able to do that and, you know, in, in, in at least take a modicum? Um, of joy out of being able to do a simulated bracket and trying to, you know, move teams forward, etc. I I did today. I saw I wrestled the guys over there, Tony Hager and that crew. They had they're simulating the NCAA wrestling tournament first session here today. So they simulated the first session. They have a, a project set up with with a simulation for wrestling that did that, and I was into it. And I read through, and I looked yep. through every bracket, and I was looking for upsets and, and looking for the guys from the state of Iowa and how they were doing. So at least <laughs> with that, yeah, I, it was uh, 10 minutes is what I probably spent on it. But, yeah, right. I, I spent 10 minutes, and I guess 10 minutes of thinking of NCAA wrestling is better than 10 minutes of reading yeah. another pandemic story, right? No, it's a fair point. It, it's a good point. I, just, I wonder if it's a generational thing, right? Maybe my generation isn't uh, as as um, uh, as, as wont to go over there and to do that kind of exercise. Maybe you know your generation grew up with PlayStation and Xbox and all those things. I I don't know. I just can't get into it, and it's it's disappointing that that's what uh, that's what we've got. But that's what we've got. And that's what we have. And another thing, uh, so our buddy Emery Songer, who you hear Saturday mornings here with pregame, does High School Insider and a lot on KXNO also, works over And I think WHL. he's been sitting in on, on Jeff Angelo's show because Jeff Angelo was traveling. I believe he's self-quarantined, and Emery's doing the uh, the mid-morning shift over at WHO at least a few days this week, so good for him. Yeah, yeah, I know he was on today too, and, and one thing he sent to me on Facebook um, is the Mid-Iowa... Marbula won Fantasy League. It's marble racing. Have you seen these videos of these marble races? I did. I watched one of the marble race. I watched one of the first ones that came out, the light blue or the turquoise marble that led most of the way and then took a bad turn, but came on again at the very yes. end and took the lead. And I think I could call those Trent. I oh, guess is yeah. where I'm going. Yes, that would be great. I mean, for if, you. if if somebody uh, maybe this is a cottage industry for me <laughs> to sim- to simulate marble racing, and I. I mean, I think they still do it. Um, could would actually call it like I would call a you know one of the races in the past, but yeah, it was it was it was okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I got into that. I did uh, at least one time. So, is there a league or something for this? Yeah, yeah. Emery's putting together a league for this. So, uh, of course, I'm going to be playing. No doubt. You're going to pick three marbles. Who you think is going to finish best out there? You got scoring system, everything. That's what we're at. That this is the place that we're at. Looking for anything. I'm also at a Facebook group that. Uh, couple of friends put together guys without sports and it's memes throughout the day and different things and videos and things just to to get people through and that's what we're going to be for the foreseeable future one thing i wanted to bring up to you though ken yeah we were having a conversation off the air and it was about sports and how they're going to change i think this is going to be maybe a more wide-ranging topic i'm sure we're going to get into more kind of going forward but when you look at the sports landscape and what it is and, and when we get back to normalcy, whenever that is, months, years, I mean, I, I'm not saying the sports are going away for years, but when normal is back, does it make sense to have 
70, 80, 100,000 people inside of a football stadium during the fall, during the winter time. Mm. Does that make sense? It is the way that we know sports today, how different is it going to look in the future and how different are people's habits going to change because of what we've gone through here and are going to go through in the coming weeks and months? Trent, it's the great unknown. I mean, we just don't know, but I, I certainly could see that. I mean, as, as we talked about in the er, earlier in the show, I mean, we may see college football or NFL football, I think of the two NFL football more likely, played in front of no live audience, that it's strictly a televised endeavor. I mean, how can you ask college football players, and I know that it's a, a feeder system to the NFL, and, you know, if they don't get to play, how are they going to, for that uh, percentage of players that will get that opportunity to turn professional and get paid to play these games? But these are amateurs that we're going to go ask to, you know, to play in this type of environment? Who knows what the world is going to look like in August? We lost the Drake relays yesterday. May's going to be here. And they really think the principal charity classic is going to be played a in you know social distancing and b the guys on the principal uh on on the senior tour are all that demographic that's most likely uh to be uh, afflicted by this so who knows what it's going to be but to your point how will sports change it's the great unknown and we're guessing and speculating at this point but it's it's all on the table trent it's all on the table it's you know i think it's is it going to be more reliant than we are right now on televised sporting events i mean look at hd has made it so easy to stay home and rewind your tv and watch a play over etc cetera, etc cetera. and then you know that sounds like Okay, yeah, but that's relatively new still, right? Mm-hmm. It hasn't been that too many long years ago that that we couldn't do that. Will there be sport? Will there be fans at these events? Will college basketball be played um, in these mega facilities once we get to the Final Four? Will there be a demand for that? I don't know. I think it's a fair question, Trent. It's going to look different. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And, and ticket buying and that what it's going to what it's going to turn into. It's going to be something that I think people as a whole are going to have to figure out. Not just the sports leagues, but the fans themselves. What what is it? What is it going to take to get you? inside one of those buildings and not an open air stadium but a place that's got a roof on it and it's winter time and right. it's it's next year and it's next winter and we're back to a sense of normalcy but oh boy here comes and it's flu season again you know what do i want to chance it you know what i'm not even Trenton, gonna get that's tickets. the thing they're they're the, the uh the health care people are saying that we get through this one it's going to come again next flu season mm-hmm. and that's why i'm you know, I, I, I'm, I can sleep at night knowing that the entire world, the br- most brilliant minds in this entire world, whatever country that they're from, are collectively trying to come up with something to prevent this, to cure this, whatever. So something along those lines. But, um, you know, that, that's, that at least makes it a little bit more palpable and makes it a little bit more easy to swallow what we're going through right now. But, you know, the other thing, athletic departments, we're, they're about to undergo a market correction because all of these a, a, athletic departments that, you know, there was a time not too many years ago that they had to budget and stick to the penny on this budget because, you know, they could count on that big money coming their way. And we just saw the NCAA tournament canceled and their insurance was only about 25 percent 
of what they normally would have taken in. And are they going to buy that insurance? I'd be able to buy that insurance policy for next year should this happen again. So the coaching salaries that just mm-hmm. ballooned over the last few years, how much longer are they going to be able to sustain themselves? We're in, we're in for a market correction in sports trends, and part of that is to your point. It's fans. It's it's They won't be buying as many tickets, I don't think, as they were in the past. Um, and do we need these big edifices to host these events going forward? Yeah, it, it's going to be uh, cert- something to keep an eye on, certainly as these conversations continue going forward. Well, last night we uh, opened up the show today talking about the I'm Back documentary on the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan coming back in 1995 with it. So that was that. What do we got tonight? What's uh, <laughs> what's going to trip your trigger here this evening? Uh I um I t- I taped a bunch of man versus food shows. Okay, all right. Uh, Is- life below life below zero. Those types of things. Uh, I, I don't know, Trent. Yeah, I mean, I the the Jordan thing last night. I'm back. We all got so pumped up to watch that thing. And I guess I didn't realize it was only going to be a 30 minute show. I thought, you know, maybe be entertained for a couple of hours. And not that I'm. I mean, I'm I'm not complaining that it was on. It was at least killed that. Uh, that time period, but boy, it sure left you wanting more. You know, I go back to it. We talked about this. Or I, I did not know he was practicing with the Golden State Warriors in advance of anybody really knowing that uh, the comeback was was at least being considered at that time. And um, Tim Hardaway and um, oh, there was one other guy that were Chris Mullen. that he would. Yeah, uh, well, he played with Chris Mullen, right? Mm-hmm. Him and Chris Mullen, they. Uh, uh, they, he convinced Chris Mullen to go get dressed and we're going to take these guys on. I guess he just crushed them. Um, oh, what's the guy's name? Higgins. Oh, yeah. Higgins, his, his buddy Higgins. Um, and, uh, and, and Tim Hardaway, who, you know, they made the, they opened the door for him to, Rod Higgins, uh, to come and practice with Golden State. And I mean, of all the teams, he's going to show up at Golden State kind of as his, just to kind of get his feet wet and then playing against Reggie Miller and the Pacers. And can you imagine the tickets that day were a thousand dollars? Which seemed like a crazy price to see Jordan's return to the NBA. How much would that ticket have gone for? Well, we'll say last year because this year's a different story. Um, but uh, just crazy how things have changed, even in that short period of time. So, uh, one final thing: we mentioned the NCAA tournament would normally be beginning today. There's a great, great Twitter feed. It's called "This Day in Sports Clips" at TDI. This day in sports clips is where you can find it, and it's just that, sports clips from this day in history. In fact, we might be using this a lot more going forward, but March 19th, 1999, Gonzaga, the 10 seed, hmm. beat six-seeded Florida 73-72. With that victory, they advance on, and they go to the Elite Eight, ultimately fell in that Elite Eight game. But this was during my freshman year of college. I remember all those Gonzaga games incredibly vividly. That was Dr. Tom's final run through the tournament. They got upended yeah. by UConn, and then it was Gonzaga-UConn to go to the Final Four in uh, Phoenix for that one. But that was a great team. Loved watching that team play. Just Matt Santangelo and Richie Fromm and Casey Cavalry. That was a great group and a lot of fun and really propelled Gonzaga to what they no, are no today. We're, we're talking yeah. 21 years ago when this was. They haven't missed a tournament since then. They haven't missed a WCC Conference Tournament Final since then. 
That is crazy, Trent, just to where that program was and uh, with that year kind of kick-starting it and, and making it one of the, you know, one of the elite mid-majors, if you want to call them that, and Gonzaga certainly doesn't deserve to be lumped in uh, with that group because they've excelled um, and, and continue to do so. So that's, that's a good feed. I'm all for it. Let's do that. Uh, you know, every day we got to get creative on this program. We're going to try and do our best to do so. We're thinking of some things that we can do kind of outside the realm of sports that you know we may be hearing about as long as we can get approval and i'm sure that we will um just to try and help the community out because you know that's kind of what we've been tasked to do right is to use our commercial airtime this the commercial airtime that you and i have been allocated in exchange for you know for our compensation and to be able to spread this across the community so we may be doing more of that in the days to come but when you come across these things by all means let's incorporate them into the 10 to noon we're looking to do that, no doubt. Out of time for today. It's Miller and Kinda taking you home each and every day over your lunch hour, 10 till noon, late morning, and getting you through the day. We got Murph and Andy coming your way here live at 2 o'clock. The sports fanatics go at 4. And tomorrow morning it all starts as it does each and every weekday with the morning rush. Travis, Heather, and Sean in your mornings. All here on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.